This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome back to the Danny Mac Podcast, courtesy of the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Glad you're with me today. Happy Thanksgiving to all of my listeners. I hope this is a meaningful and safe and peaceful holiday for you. Today, I want to do something a little bit different. If you've been a listener of mine over the years, you might know this to be true. I like to speak from the heart on occasion. And I like to talk about things that are more important to many of us than the games people play. Aside from point spreads and pucks, there is real life. There's family and there are holidays. And to me, Thanksgiving, a very special one. I want to comment about that in just a little bit and also talk. I've compiled a very short list of of gratitudes, uh, a gratitude list, if you will, things for which a Chicago sports fan should feel enormous thanks this holiday season. Not all of it has to do with what's happening today, but there are some amazingly cool things for Chicago sports fans down the road. So I want to get to that in just a little bit. I want to get to some NFL news with Hall of Fame semifinalists announced this week. I'm a big fat yes on a couple of them and a quick no on many of the other big names. I'll get into some of those and some of the stories that are dominating headlines in the NFL on this Wednesday. And man, the Arizona Cardinals could not have picked a worse time to agree to be HBO's second in-season featured team on the long-standing series Hard Knocks. The bad news is teams have final say in what gets distributed, what actually is the air product. Teams can say, no, we're we're not willing to share that. If you were to run cameras and microphones all over the Cardinals facility for the rest of this week, you could start a reality show that would be three hours a day probably. You couldn't do it all in one hour. With the offensive line coach being fired For groping a woman in Mexico City, comments made by players inside the Cardinals locker room about guys not playing hard. Accusations made by the 49ers, actually one 49er in particular called DeAndre Hopkins steroid boy after the Niners just knocked the shit out of the Cardinals the other night in Monday Night Football. And I, I wouldn't, I can't lay 10 or more points with the San Francisco 49ers. I just don't trust them, even though I like their football team. I like it primarily because of their defense and their versatility offensively. 
But Jimmy does what Jimmy does way too often. He'll throw the dumb pick, and there could be backdoor covers and tens a lot of points in this one-possession final score National Football League. So I wasn't going to lay it. And, man, did I live to regret it. And my guys did outstay. Debo Samuel with a rushing touchdown, George Kittle a couple of receiving touchdowns, and the Dire Makers emerged victorious. Not that you give a damn. I won't talk about my fantasy roster the rest of the show. You're updated. Fact of the matter is, the Arizona Cardinals are in free fall of epidemic proportion. And I am looking forward to catching up on the series. I'm a... You know, this is only the second time HBO has taken a whack at in-season hard knocks. Last year, their featured team was the Indianapolis Colts, which, and this is proof the NFL, um, the teams rather, have jurisdiction over what we get on our HD monitors at home. It's because the, the we learned after the season the Colts had a ton of disagreement on the trigger man, Carson Wentz. That wasn't something that we learned last year. It appeared from the outside looking in that Carson Wentz was liked, especially by head coach Frank Reich. But aside from that, there was a lot of concern. He wasn't going to be back last year when he was out with COVID briefly, but he did return for the game. And uh, it just it wasn't an accurate pictorial. Uh, or pictorial of of what was happening in Indianapolis Colts training camp and in their facility, and I don't know what we're going to get with the Cardinals, but it has to be, it has to be at least semi honest. It's got to be more forthright than uh, than just giving us standard pregame prep and going over the opposing teams. It's got to be better than that because this thing is really unraveling. And you have to think Cliff Kingsbury is on the line. This is the guy they had to have. They went out and fired Steve Wilkes, the interim head coach now of the Carolina Panthers, a defensive coach. He was the D.C. for Ron Rivera when Carolina went to the Super Bowl following its 15-1 and season in 2015. Wilkes didn't survive more than a year. They had to go offense, and they had to get Cliff Kingsbury who couldn't win at Texas Tech with Patrick freaking Mahomes as his quarterback, but that's life in the NFL. He fit the bill. He looks good at Under Armour. He look, You know, the dry fits, the real snug. Okay, this guy's got a 33-inch waist. Man, he's, he's fit and he's young and his hair is nice and he's handsome and he's not yet 40. That seemed to be the mold that Sean McVay started a few years ago when he had success early in his NFL career. And I, I think in year number two took the Rams to a Super Bowl, even though they got uh, they got beat in the lowest scoring Super Bowl in the history of games with Roman numerals on it. But uh, yeah, I it will be interesting to see what Carolina, how they how they come out or sorry, not Carolina, uh, the Cardinals come out of this thing. But the early if it's in fact early here now, 11 weeks into this thing is that is one of the most disappointing franchises in the league. And now the contract that was afforded to the quarterback, Kyler Murray has to be questioned even more. There's so much money that gets invested in these guys, you know, especially high round draft picks. And that's the case for Justin Fields. And let me get right to the bears and jets week 12, the bears and the jets, boy, just what the doctor ordered for both teams in this manner. 
the Bears' defense is among the worst in the league, and in the last five games, the Bears' D has allowed 31 points per game. They're 31st in the league in sacks. They've Man, that's they've got 15 sacks. They're last in the league in quarterback hits. They're only 24th in the league in tackles for loss. The Bears don't have a defensive lineman with more than two sacks on the season. It has been every bit as bad, maybe worse than Bears fans were expecting and maybe even the staff. And if there's something that gives you a glimmer of hope, it's the play of some of the guys in the young secondary, but not all of them. Uh, when your front seven are terrible, you get a lot of tackles out of guys who play the corner slot position or your safeties. And that's why some of these first-year players like Brisker and Gordon have, have been showing up because the guys up front aren't being tackled. John Madden taught me that many years ago. When, when the secondary is making all of the tackles, that means your front seven, they're being blocked. Boom. Uh, Very lousy John Madden impersonation. Like my fantasy football team, it's the last of the day. You have my word on that. But here's the rub. The Bears' defense gets a chance to get healthy against the worst offense in the league last week and maybe, maybe for the entire season. Whether it has been Zach Wilson, the punch-me-face kid who's in his second year and showed no culpability, no accountability whatsoever after the Jets sleptwalked their way through a 10-3 loss to New England last week. He didn't take account. Just really a punk. Just not. He's not an easy guy to like just based on his face if we're you know judging books by their covers. And who doesn't, really? I mean... He's got young A.J. Pruszynski face. It screams punch me. Uh, yeah, so last week he went out and fight. He completed all of nine passes for 22 yards. 77 yards passing for the New York Jets last week. 1.6 yards per attempt in 2022. Are you effing kidding me? They had six first downs on the day against New England. In the second half, they managed two yards of total offense. That's the Bears' defensive assignment this week, the New York Jets. And with a total of 39 and a half, you'd think it takes a lot of balls to play the over. But if Justin Fields starts, and we may not know until Sunday, we may find out later today, but we may not know until Sunday. I won't pull the trigger on this one until I get word Fields is going to go. The shoulder does not appear to be dislocated, and it's it's his non-passing shoulder. If it were dislocated, he misses some time, at least two, three weeks, maybe more. Um, I have heard it suggested this week by media members and uh, actually only one media member and and callers and people on Twitter and I'm shame on me for going to Joe and Berwin for my expertise but there are people thinking this way and maybe you're one of them you're a sports fan and and we who host these things aren't always right I'm not saying that's the case and I don't always try to have the right take which is an epidemic in the business of sports radio right now at least locally Got to have the right freaking... You know what? Speak from the heart, damn it. Uh, 
you don't shut Justin Fields down for the rest of the year because the product is anything but finished. And that's what's being suggested. You're three and eight. Why in the world would you risk him for the future? Some are suggesting because he hasn't developed as a passer. That's why, because they're only asking him to throw the ball 20 times a game. And when he does, he often holds it way too long. He's been sacked 40 times this year. He needs to get better at getting rid of the hoochie. Throw it out of bounds. Throw it farther than anybody who can, the fastest guys out there can get to it. Throw it. Get rid of it. He's not been doing that. And there have been some times when he's missed wide open receivers. As a runner, you need to know nothing more. He's the shit as a running quarterback. There is no debating that. Anybody who debates that is foolish because you haven't been watching the weekly video game. Even last week when held to fewer than 100, he still was was jaw-dropping on occasion as a runner. But the Bears don't convert on third down enough. did a couple of weeks ago when they were in third and manageable. He misses guys. He needs to develop. You don't do it by passing 200 times in your first 11 or 12 games. You got to let this guy uncork it a little bit. You got to get him a rhythm going with with the guy who everybody was all excited about, Chase Claypool, when they acquired him from the Steelers. And everybody's still waiting to see this guy. You understood it the first week when he only was targeted, I think, three times and had a significant part of the game, drew a PI. One of his catches, one of his two catches was for a third down conversion, moving the chains. You like the big body. He's got decent speed. He and Fields need time together in actual NFL games. And you're kidding yourself if you think Fields is developed as a quarterback. He's not. He's a great running quarterback. That's where it ends. That's where it freaking ends. His pocket presence isn't great. His accuracy isn't great. But he's damn exciting. You got to let him develop. You'll be thinking about a, a, a second contract for him next year. If he's going to maximize his potential in year three, you got to give him the benefit. If he's healthy, you play him every freaking game this year. He doesn't sit a week, not Trevor Simeon time, unless it's in a blowout or the, or a fields can't play. If he can play, he plays trends in this series. Um, the bears are one in five on the road this year. If that means anything to you, they have failed to cover in four of their last six games. The jets on the other hand, have covered five of their last seven. The Bears have won five in a row against the Jets. Now, if they were in the same division, that stat would mean a little, a tiny bit, not nearly as much as people think it does when you have a an amazingly one-sided history between two teams. For years, it was the Patriots and the Bills, right? Not so much anymore. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, because 
Brian Erlacher and Nathan Vasher both intercepted Chad Pennington in 0-6, and the Bears shut out the Jets 10 to nothing. the second of the last five. So that's going to make me lean in favor of these Bears who don't intercept passes very often. They don't take the ball away. They don't pressure the quarterback, and they don't take the ball away. It's problematic. But they've won five in a row in the series. <laughs> Some of the things these guys who do the uh, handicapping dig for just just tickle the shit out of me. They really do. Some of the some of the trends, especially when you see an out of conference team once every four years. That's funny to me. I have some NFL nuggets, but I first want to get to my gratitude list for Chicago sports fans, and it begins with the Bears, because there are several things for which. I believe a Bears fan, of course I believe it, I'm the one speaking, a Bears fan should be excited. And it's not Justin Fields atop my list. It's Arlington Heights. What what the Bears are going to do in Arlington Heights in a few years is going to change entertainment in Chicago for the next 100 years, potentially. Certainly the next quarter century, possibly much longer. I would assume if that building is outdated in 25 years, with all the land they have there and the infrastructure already in place, they knock it down and try again or build nearby. It's huge acreage. It covers four municipalities. There won't be an event played in there in at least three years, probably more realistically five years before you first will have the chance to set foot in the new Soldier Field, and it won't be named Soldier Field, by the way. There are there are bidders coming to the table right now for stadium rights. The Bears are very busy behind the scenes doing things none of us have been thinking about lately because all of the attention regarding this team is on the development of a potential superstar quarterback in Justin Fields. The Arlington Heights thing is happening. The search for a new team president is happening. These are very quiet with uh, Superfoot, Justin Fields getting all the attention, as it should, as it should. The product on the field is why we watch. It's why we crave the shield for those of us who do. And uh, there's nothing that flirts with with interest level for me like the NFL. But Arlington Heights, the, the prospect of Chicagoland, can't say Chicago, it's not city proper, Serving as a host to the world 12 months a year is enormously appealing. You could do all kinds of wonderful events in there. You could have a Final Four. You could have a Super Bowl. I'm not crazy about what they're talking about initially for the seating capacity. I would have preferred bigger. They're talking about 67,000 seats. Right now, the Bears play in the smallest stadium in the NFL at 61.5. Yes, they actually made Soldier Field smaller when they did that stupid thing 20 years ago and kept Soldier Field, kept the precious colonnades, the landmark, and put a spaceship in the middle. Soldier Field, for me, has never been a winner. Um, Parking, getting in and out, always been tough. Concourses, not outstanding. You know, it's just, it, it, it's so antiquated. It was built in the 20s, okay? 
It's been there a hundred freaking years. And the Bears have been playing there since 71. And in 71, they had the AstroTurf, and the Bears finally got rid of that in 88, but they still haven't figured out a way to make the grass grow properly. And there are some people who will tell you because of the location, because of its proximity to the lake. And I'd, I've never discussed this with the sod father, Roger Bossard. He'd be on my list of guys. He'd be the only guy on my list, one person list, someone to call to talk to that water tables have a lot to do with the bears problems, getting a good turf. I, I have no idea if that's the case, but you don't have anything out in Arlington Heights. You can't point to that as an excuse. And I have a feeling they will go to a field turf, but Astro turf, which um, man, if you ever walked on Astro turf, you'd realize right away. And that's what they had until 88 when they finally went to a grass surface when it was grass. Um, you, you get the impression right away. Guys should not play football on this. It's it's concrete with a with a with like an eighth of an inch carpet skin on top of it. Uh, walked on it a bunch as a member of the media and played on it one time. When uh, I was 19 years old, I played uh, half a season of junior college football for Thornton Community College, and we played the Illinois freshman team in Champaign in uh, late August of 80. Tony Eason beat us 21 to nothing, and I think I had 13 carries out of playing fullback, 13 carries for 70 yards or something like that, and uh, getting thrown on that shit with your forearms bare skin, just skin removed all over your arms. It was just absolutely brutal and brutal on the knees too. Uh, Nobody I know who ever played on one of those carpets had good things to say about it. And in some places in leagues with multi-stadium usage, like Philadelphia, where they would remove the, 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 you know, they'd remove the carpet, the the turf part of it for the sand of the baseball diamond and zippers would exist and there would be seams in the field. It's how Bears wide receiver Wendell Davis blew out both patella tendons in his knees. Um, Jim Harbaugh had overthrown him. I'm getting off topic here. The Bears, the Bears going to Arlington Heights is great effing news for you. It's great news for the economy of Chicagoland. It's great news for spectators. You are going to get a state-of-the-art facility, and we no longer can flip the middle finger at the mistake by the lake, and uh, you will have a a modern-day crown jewel. I felt that way. The minute I walked into the United Center, and I had such a a, a romance with the stadium. It's where I grew up as a kid. First Hawks game in December of 72. But the minute I walked in the United Center, I said, yeah, this is right. (laughs) This is where we need to be. No more standing in piss after two periods when you have to go to the bathroom because the plumbing system can't handle it. Uh, The smoky corridors, the tiny, tight little corridors of the old Chicago stadium. Oh, don't don't let me uh, misinform you on how I feel about it. I was emotional about it, man. I saw some cool things in there. But uh, it was a dump compared to the United Center with all the creature comforts of the modern day and uh, sight lines that are improved. 
and jumbotrons and technology. Sometimes ballparks have too much of it, but I am I am ecstatic about Arlington Heights. And I suspect in five or six years, when the Bears finally begin playing their games there, all of Chicagoland will embrace it. There may be some who struggle with it at the beginning because people don't adjust to change very well, but they are going to love it. Another thing for you to be thankful for is the end of Ted Phillips's regime. 23 years are almost complete now. During Phillips's run, the Bears have won three playoff games. I have gone over his record on this podcast, on my radio shows, uh, in print, for the Chicago Tribune and the Sun-Times before the Trib on numerous occasions on how he is a, a conclusive failure as a leader of a football franchise. He is a successful businessman, and apparently that's all that has mattered to Team McCaskey. Bottom line. That's how the late Michael McCaskey operated, and that seems to be how the current group, George McCaskey, still getting her his directions from the matriarch, Virginia McCaskey. I, my, my hope is when Virginia passes, the, the family will decide to sell. With Michael now gone, that opportunity exists because he was always going to vote in the side of we keep this in the family. He's gone now. And there's, I've heard from numerous people over the years, that is not anything close to being consensus to keep it in that family. But there's very little discussion of that. It's great Ted Phillips is gone. I hope the Bears' new president will be a football guy first. I hope it's not a pencil pusher. I hope it's a guy who really understands the mechanics of leadership at the top level of a huge organization, but also be of a football mind. You gotta be a football mind to be a president. And I, my, I'm holding out hope that, that they make the right move there, but Ted being gone is addition, addition by subtraction. So thankful this holiday season, thankful very much for Arlington Heights, the addition of a brand new stadium, been a long time since we've had one, unless you count where DePaul plays its games. What is it, Wintrust? Nice little ballpark for Hickory High School. We need a new facility, and knock on wood, this thing gets done in five years or so. It's also good to feel uh, thanks right now, I think, for Justin Fields' development and the Bears coaching staff for finding a way after the loss to the commanders on that Thursday night debacle to get him productive to use what he does best so he can succeed and your team can succeed. Long way to go on Matt Eberflus, on the general manager, Ryan Poles. I am in no way ready to say, yes, these are the guys. This is who you've been waiting for. Your Messiah is here. I'm not telling you that. No way. No way, because there were people quick to rush to judgment on Mark freaking Trestman in his first year. And then his second year was was a disaster on both sides of the ball, not just on defense, on both sides. He wasn't good. 
and there was excitement after. Don't let that initial. And by the way, well, what are you celebrating anyway? They're three and freaking eight. They've blown back to back leads against the Lions and the Falcons. They had the Lions by 14 in week 10 at home with the ball in the fourth quarter. That is unacceptable by anybody's standards. You won't remember it next year at this time, but players. Players who ultimately are successful learn through those mistakes, and there are going to be some guys counted on in two or three years when the Bears are expected to be very good again who had a hand in that. And then a 10-point lead blown against the Falcons this past week. I am thankful after watching Marion Hosa's jersey retirement ceremony the other night that I was able to experience so much of those three Blackhawks championships under John McDonough's regime. The John McDonough, Dale Talon slash Scotty Bowman, Joel Quinville and his staff, to to be as close as I was to it and to, to go on the road with the team and have some access that is not afforded to everybody. Um it was it was clearly the highlight, I think, of my my career as a sports fan. I there was there's no team in town that comes remotely close to me to recapturing what it's like to look at the world through the wide eyes of a 10 year old, the Hawks. That's it. When I see the Indian head, I'm 10 and the garbage that followed what we learned about last year regarding their, their video coach and his sexual assault of Kyle beach. And that, that was, permitted to a large degree sours me on how I think of those guys who I respected so much as hockey guys and as, as people I've, I've often said, I've said for many years, you don't know, you might think somebody is a good guy. And I usually qualify it. When I talk about somebody, I don't really know that well. I know in a business relationship and sometimes even if it becomes a little casual socially till you really know somebody, you don't know what they are and what they've done and heavy is the head that wears the crown and the people who have to make the toughest decisions are in high posts and what McDonough and uh, others did. I, I, I don't, you know, I, how can you, how can you do anything but shake your head and disgust that they let that son of a bitch go on and, and continue to work until he finally was caught taking advantage of young men. It's unconscionable to me that happened, but I'm not going to feel bad because I don't feel worse about my experiences covering the team and watching those three cup championships. And Marion Hosa was a great Chicago athlete because he wasn't just full of offensive flash he played 200 feet of the rink. He was a stud. He was strong on the puck. He was graceful off of the puck and a tremendous work ethic. He is a great Chicago sports figure historically, absolutely deserving of having 81 hung to the Raptors for his tenure.
in a Hawks uniform, a a three-time Stanley Cup champ. So I, I have thanks that I was able to experience that. It meant something to me. I was around the Bulls quite a bit in the 90s, but I, you know, I was happy for those who genuinely loved the team. I was not among them. I didn't grow up a Bulls fan. I don't love the game. So it was nice to cover it. It was great for interest level, but it wasn't it wasn't something that spoke to me on an emotional level. It meant almost nothing, actually. Best thing that came out of the Bulls dynasty for me was my friendship with Dan Patrick. Because I, I met him in Phoenix in 93 when the Bulls were winning their third of those six championships. And we became fast friends and did things socially in Seattle in 96 and in Salt Lake City again, 97 and 98. And um, he's he's a, he's a good friend to this day. And uh, that wouldn't have happened probably had it not been for the Bulls. So thank you for the six titles. That's a... Uh, that's my gratitude list for Chicago sports fans. I, I suppose I should say I am thankful that I don't have to watch the Bulls right now so I get the Bulls covered. I heard on the afternoon drive show on ESPN Radio just a, maybe a week or 10 days or so ago, Mike Wilbon, the, the national uh, talking head for ESPN and a Chicago guy, a guy I like on a personal level and I have a pretty high regard for what he's accomplished in his print and broadcast careers. He was on and he was complaining about the Bulls and Mark Silverman, Sylvie, who's a huge Bulls fan, says they're not even worth talking about right now. We haven't even been talking about them here on the afternoon show. And Wilbon followed and was talking about the Bulls. So I went elsewhere because I'm not interested. And I just heard the host tell me, they're not even worth talking about. So why would they be worth listening to conversation about? I'm not sure why you want me to stick around. I come back 12, 13 minutes later, they're still talking about the Bulls. They're still talking about a team that doesn't need to be talked about. So I'm thankful I don't have to watch and I, I don't I don't feel like I'm missing anything. So those are some gratitudes I have this holiday season. I love Thanksgiving. Some of my favorite memories of being a football fan when I was young include Thanksgiving. My father, like so many people in Northwest Indiana, was uh, was from Southern roots. He came, he and his family came up from Arkansas in the late forties to find work in the steel mills and all of the factories of Northwest Indiana. My, my old man worked at Lever Brothers Company, um, that's what it used to be called. Now it's Unilever. I believe they make soaps and they had a few edible products. Not sure if they still do, but he worked there for a number of years. He grew up in a town called Benton, Arkansas, which is about 20, 25 miles South of Little Rock. We'd always go there for Thanksgiving where the weather was just a little bit warmer than it was in Chicagoland. And, uh, the water never froze. The ponds never froze. So Thanksgiving morning, my little brother and I would go out to Grandma Nancy's catfish pond and put some bacon on a hook and, uh, you know, catch some three to five pound uh, channel cats or blue cats and uh, and fillet those bad boys up to take home. Just a few of them. She just liked to have kids fish in her pond. So we didn't uh, we didn't harvest more than three or four. But uh, and Thanksgiving. 
an opportunity to be with family. For me, it is the most important holiday uh, of the year because it celebrates family more than anything. It's, you know, we, we have holidays that celebrate religious events or spiritual traditions there are holidays that celebrate the birth of a nation or the signing of an important government document. There are all kinds of things we celebrate, but to to take a day and spend time, if you do, and I do, you know, taking a little inventory and being grateful for what you have. That that's always been important to me. And there are no gifts. You might present the host of the uh, the Thanksgiving dinner you're going to with some flowers or a bottle of wine, but there's no exchange of gifts or cards, uh, nothing pretentious about it. There are no decorations per se that are required on Thanksgiving. It is It is not spent out as some other holidays are. It is spent in the bosom of your home. And what says family more than being in your home with a kitchen full of wonderful smells and and giving gratitude for every I, I love Thanksgiving as uh in uh for your consideration. Um what was the uh I can't remember she was cookie fleck in best in show. The Toronto-born actress Catherine O'Hara. She's she's playing an actress um, who's thinking she's going to be nominated for an Oscar, even though she doesn't get nominated. She's appearing on a morning show, Wake Up L.A., and she says Thanksgiving is the most elegant holiday of the year, don't you think? And the host says, I do now. Well, I'd never thought about it either, but... I did after she put that in my head. So have a happy Thanksgiving. Um, Favorite Thanksgiving football game, I forgot to mention, probably 1976. I'm a sophomore in high school, and O.J. Simpson of the Buffalo Bills rushed for 273 yards. 273 for the juice, and I believe it was snowing that day. Uh, that was a single-game record in the NFL that has been busted a handful of times. It was broken the following year by Walter Payton when he rushed for 275 yards against the Minnesota Vikings. And the footnote on that is the Bears beat the Vikings 10-7. to The dude rushes for almost 300 yards and all the Bears could muster is 10 points. <laughs> they eked out... A 10-7 to win when the guy sets an NFL record. That is so Bears, isn't it? couple of NFL notes before I get out of here. Did you see the Hall of Fame semifinalist list? I'm, an, I'm a yes on Devin Hester. And I, I think, you know, it gets into dangerous territory when you say, well, this guy's not in ahead of Devin Hester. It is an injustice that Billy White Shoes Johnson, the former Houston Oiler, is not in Pro Football's Hall of Fame. He he did everything you he checked every box uh, as a specialist, and I'm all for specialists being recognized. Hester's numbers should be better than what they are, and his numbers until Cordero Patterson, as far as kick return, um, were record-setting numbers. 
Uh, Patterson clipped him with his ninth career kick return for a touchdown the other day against the Bears. The Bears had to go and make him a wide receiver. That was a Jerry Angelo brain fart. And they gave him a contract structured, uh, which was very bonus structured. And um, they took the guy who was the very best at his position and gave him a new position. (laughs) He was reinventing the position. He was, even when they weren't kicking the ball to him, he was helping his team when they would kick it out of bounds because they were afraid of him returning it all the way or at least past midfield because he was as electric as, as they came. I'm a yes on Rodney Harrison. I admit I am biased, but Rodney Harrison, who is semi-local, grew up in Chicago Heights and played college ball at Western Illinois, was one of my favorite players of the late 20th century and the early part of, of this century, favorite players defensively, because he played the game like guys did once upon a time when they were trying to legislate physical play out of the safety position, out of the game, Rodney Harrison was a breath of fresh air because he didn't care if he was getting flagged. He didn't care if a suspension or fine followed. If he had a chance to take you out, he did that. And, you know, most of the time you're going to get away with it. Sometimes you get decked. And I think there was a reputation that developed that he was a dirty player. You know, he we played hard. I'm not going to say he played dirty. He played hard. And he was a badass. He didn't have enough recognition, I think, to get into the Hall of Fame necessarily easily. And I think this is year two of his eligibility. It was in the early days of Sunday Ticket when not every game on on your direct ticket was broadcast in high definition. I'd put the Chargers up, and they were woeful in some of those years. And defensively, they're on the field all day, especially in 2000. When Harrison, he had six sacks, six picks. He had more than a hundred solo tackles. He was just a monster and didn't even get voted to the Pro Bowl, largely because of his reputation. Uh, man, he was a terrific football player. Not a not a very dynamic broadcaster. I was hoping for more out of him as a broadcast. He's just not a warm guy, and I I want to see guys on television who look like they're happy to be there. Rodney doesn't very often. Ricky Waters is is an interesting one for the Hall of Fame. A couple of times more than 300 carries and every year more than 200. I, I'm not sure if I am a decided yes on him, but when you look at his numbers, it is difficult not to say yes on Ricky Waters as it is for Torrey Holt who emerged quickly uh, in his NFL career. He had the good fortune of playing on the greatest show on turf team with the St. Louis Rams in the uh, Dick Vermeil era. Um, I'm a no on Anquan Bolden in bold letters. Tough dude, smart player, lots of energy. You can play quarterback if you need him to in an emergency. He wasn't a Hall of Famer. I, in fact, I, I'm struggling to get my head around the idea of two receivers on one team, both going in the hall of fame. I know Bolden played on more than the Arizona Cardinals, but I think most people think of Anquan Bolden. They don't think of his Ravens days. They think Arizona Cardinals. And first you think of Larry Fitzgerald who easily is a hall of famer. I don't feel the same way about Bolden. Same deal with pass rushers, Robert Mathis, 
Dwight Freeney, I'm a yes, and he's a semifinalist again. I'm a yes on Freeney. I don't know if I feel the same way about Robert Mathis, and their numbers are pretty similar. And both of them dwarf Richard Seymour, who got in last summer, much to my chagrin, because those numbers were pedestrian. He has no business in the Hall of Fame. Thanksgiving days, the Bills are 10 games. The Bills are 10-point favorites against the Lions, a total of 54-and-a-half. The Bills slipping a little bit of late. I think they bounce back. Doubt I'm going to lay the 10, but uh, if you uh, put a gun to my head, yeah, I would I would say go Bills in this one. There's no way Detroit's going to win three straight, are they? Tell me that can't happen in this in this era. Giants and Cowboys, the second game of the day. Dallas, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite at home, and Dak Prescott is wanting OJB, or OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. on his team. I, I think we want guys to be honest, but I, I don't think it's – if you want to go behind the scenes and say, let's get Beckham in here, do that. But to publicly tell the world, I, I, I got a problem with Prescott doing this publicly. And he's not the only one in a Cowboys uniform who has done it. It affects him as much as anybody. He'd like somebody other than C.D. Lamb and Dalton Schultz to be reliable. But still, I, I just I, I don't think you publicly stump for guys to be added to your roster. And lastly, did you see who's starting for the Carolina Panthers this week? Yes, indeed he do. Baker Mayfield, grab the baseball cap. We're pulling you out. It's going to be Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. Carolina is a two-point underdog at home against Denver. Boy, there's a game we all got to watch. The total is 36 36. That's like the total in Iowa, Minnesota last week at the college level was 32 and a half, and it went under. Um, yeah, Sam Darnold, lots of luck. Don't see any ghosts. Hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. I want to thank Adam Delavitt, who is the uh, baby Capone at uh, Bet Rivers Podcast Network, and Sam Michael for executively producing my show. I'll be back Monday to wrap up week 12 with the Bears and Jets. Be safe, be happy. Thank you for listening. I'm Danny Mac, and for now, I'm Taillights. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.